Welcome to CTL Connections Short Bites, a series of interviews with senior engineering leaders. I'm your host, Peter Bell. The future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. At CTL Connection, we try to solve that by identifying, curating, and distributing the latest tools and techniques for more effectively building and managing an engineering team. Join our community at ctlconnection.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank our partners. Code Climate is our global sponsor. Code Climate Velocity helps CTOs, VPEs, and directors at companies like Slack, Gusto, and Pizza Hut align initiatives with strategic priorities, accelerate software delivery, and drive continuous improvement. I'd also like to thank Amazon Web Services and Carrot, our sustaining partners. I'd also like to take a moment to introduce our Short Bytes partner, Cloud Zero. You're spending a ton of money on the cloud, so shouldn't you know exactly what you're spending it on? Cloud Zero will help you organize and understand your cloud spend better than anyone else out there. You'll get visibility without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. With Cloud Zero, you can optimize your unit economics, decentralize cost intelligence to engineering, and create a shared language between finance and technical teams. You'll be able to answer questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What is the cost impact of re-architecting this application? Join companies like Drift, Rapid7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started today. Today, I'm speaking with Randy Kern, Chief Technology Officer at Marketa. Randy, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Peter. Thanks for making time. So I, I love this idea of, of a topic of bringing quality to your technology and to your teams, kind of like this cross-cutting concern across the, the many elements of building a, a successful engineering product and engineering organization. Maybe we could start on, on one side and talk about code quality. I, I feel like it's something that we all used to talk about a lot, and it, it seems like it's not a, not a hot topic anymore. But to you, what is quality code? Well, it's a fantastic question, Peter. And you know, I, I, I think what, one of the one of the fascinating things is what, what, what's quality code versus what is just code I like. It so often breaks down in, into just personal preference and, and, and sort of choice. You know, tabs or spaces being everyone's favorite uh, kind of bomb there. Um, you know, for me, quality code works well. It's easy to read. Uh, it's as provable as possible. You know, one of my favorite tools are, are static code analysis. Uh, and I remember kind of early on when, when this became uh, possible, you know, it was really kind of a thing originally with C and, and then C++ and, and, and uh, you know, many, many languages after that. Uh, the early approach was always, oh, the, this warning here, the, the, this objection here, it's not real. The code actually works just fine. And, you know, everyone would put the pragma, disable, ignore around it, whatever. Um, my philosophy was always, let's not do that. Let's rewrite the code such that the code analysis tool, the static code analysis, and even dynamic analysis tools uh, come back clean, right? And, and, and aren't complaining about it. Let, let's not second guess it. Uh, let, let's use the tools. Let's lean into them and, and use that to kind of ensure uh, that, that we have a shared understanding of our expectations. And also now it's something that we can get better at over time. I mean, let's face it, the reality is most of us have code. If, if we have a business, we probably have a code base that's been in existence for quite a while, and it probably isn't perfect. The great thing about these modern tools is you can kind of turn it up, right? You, you can incrementally 
improve these things. You can incrementally fix errors. You can incrementally get to the point where your code is clean, at least as defined by, you know, warnings as errors, every kind of static code analysis tool you can get. Vulnerability scanners are, are, are a great tool in this space. Uh, and, you know, over the last couple of decades, using these has become so much simpler. They've been much more integrated into the whole sort of inner loop of, of software development, of engineering, you know, the whole pull request, uh, the advent of Git, like all of this makes this kind of experience a, a, a much easier thing uh, than it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, so my philosophy is do it early, really lean into it, you know, turn on every little bit of analysis and, you know, possible objection that, that your tool chain might have, uh, and then take care of it. You know, you don't have to do it overnight. You can do it incrementally. Um, but, but really, you know, it, it, it'll pay a lot of dividends in terms of the ease of, of, uh, kind of evolving that code over time of improving the functionality of refactoring when you need to, uh, it's, it's a really, really powerful tool. I found that to be a really powerful tool. So I've got to ask them, when you're talking about static code analysis, what is your opinion, especially as team size scales within an engineering org, of like static versus dynamically typed languages, right? You know, doing it all in Clojure or Ruby or even like Groovy and like AST transforms versus something a little more straightforward like a Java or similar. Yeah, you know, I... I'm kind of old school on this. I, I, I'd rather spend a little more energy on the engineering, on kind of thinking things through, on, on putting a little more structure in place, uh, but have more confidence that, that things are going to work the way we intended them to, where they're going to work the way, the way our, our, our tests show, they're going to work the way our, our kind of uh, runtime environment and, and our production monitoring and our observability platforms are showing. Uh, and I've just found over, over the years that, that that's easier to do with strongly typed languages. It's easier to do with strongly typed tool chains. And whether it's C++ or Java or, you know, the, the Rust, you know, there, there's a myriad set of languages. Uh, you know, Go wasn't even a, a thing not long ago. And, and yet it, it's amazing to me how many folks are doing work in, in all kinds of different domains in, in a language like Go. Uh, which is a nice combination, right? Because it, it does free you from memory management, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't, you know, kind of take away your ability to strongly type and sort of express a problem domain in a way that static analysis and, and kind of uh, a, a strong type system can prove correctness. Absolutely. So in addition to the, the technical means of being able to prove correctness, whether that be through typing and or automated testing, how do you think about other practices for bringing quality to code, whether it be, you know, pair programming, mob programming, code reviews? How and where do you use those with, when you're working with an engineering team? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll share an experience from when, when I first started, uh, I guess it was, it was technically probably my, my second professional software engineering role. But when I first went to Microsoft, very early in my career, I, I was working in uh, the, the, what, what, what uh, is now called the Visual C++ team. Back then it was called DevDiv. And we were working on, on the uh, Visual Studio IDE uh, 1.0, 1.5. I can't remember exactly. Um, I had the, the, the wonderful experience of being right across the hall from someone who, who was a, a fantastic engineer, a fantastic programmer, uh, went one of the lead developers, architects, however you want to think about it on that project. And he was also a very, very patient person, which is something that I've tried to, to learn from and, and model over the years. Um, but I had the joy and the privilege of literally being able to walk across the hall, 
probably five times a day, make a little room on his whiteboard, scribble it. Like I the worst, still have the worst handwriting on the planet, Peter, but I'd scribble a few things on the board. I, I'd explain what I was trying to figure out. And I'd say, you know, I, I, I see these three ways to do this, but, but I'm not quite sure what makes the most sense. And, you know, half the time he'd say, well, actually this fourth thing is a better idea. And here's why you know, another time he, he'd point me at, you know, one out of the three. And in, in any case, not only did he kind of point me in the right direction, but he would use it as an opportunity to gently and kindly, educate me and, and help me, you know, expand the way I thought about these things. And I just ate that up. Like I, I love that, 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 that was manna from heaven. Um, and while that wasn't pair programming, that was sort of my version of paired programming, you know, back in the early nineties, long story short, I think those experiences, whether they're, you know, live pair programming, whether they're really caring about code reviews and, and kind of really getting into it, really talking about, well, why, why, why is this choice the right thing? You know, I, I will, will, uh, I, I, I love inquiry, right? So sort of discourse and conversations that are founded in curiosity. They're founded in learning. You know, I, I, I'm an engineer at heart, but, but almost even more than that, I was been drawn to this field and this industry because I love to discover things. I love to learn things, right? It, it, it's, it's it, until we've gone all the way down to the sand and the electricity, I still don't understand how it actually works. Uh, and, and so I don't know, I, in, anything in, in that kind of engineering experience that, that promotes inquiry, that promotes understanding, that promotes learning. I find that that in, and making the space then for people to really do that and not just feel, Oh my God, there's all this other stuff I have to do. I need to do all these, maybe it's interviews for hiring, maybe it's doing you know, code reviews for someone else, maybe it's pair programming for someone. You, as leaders, we, we need to make that part of people's jobs. You know, it, it can't just feel like yet more things on someone's shoulder. You get resentful, you get burned out, it's frustrating. But there's so much value to be had there if we sort of uh, legitimatize it and, and make it a core part of someone's role you can actually find a lot of joy in those things, or at least I, I certainly have over the years. And I think it brings you know, a great amount of quality into our, our core asset. Well, I feel like sometimes it's also, it's a function of incentive structures, right? Uh, I actually love the idea of interviewing. Funnily enough, that's why we're here today. I, I, but even when it's interviewing for people on the team, it, it's joyous, except when it's the thing that's stopping you from the stuff you're getting graded on which is, yes. I mean, not lines of code, but, you know, whatever it is, shipping the features. And suddenly when it's like, wait a second, you're going to pull me out of flow state, put me in a room with somebody who are probably not going to end up adding to the team anyway, and then you're going to give me grief on Friday about how I've not shipped enough value. How do you think about incenting, whether it's from interviewing new team members to, to doing code reviews, which is also a, 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 in some ways a generous and sharing act, how do you incent that in a team in a way that doesn't make people feel overwhelmed and, and allows them to kind of see the, the joy in those activities? You know, I, I, I really like the way you phrase that, Peter, because there, when, when done well, there is joy in this. You know, there, there, there's joy in discovery. There's joy in conversation. There, there, there's joy in sort of, uh, you know, feeling pride and mastery in our art, in our work, and, and, and sort of creating something we, we really, really feel great about. Um, you know, the balance is tricky, right? Because at the end of the day, we, we need to do all of these things. And yet, you know, we, we have a finite amount of energy. We have a finite amount of calories to expend in, in our, in our lives, in our work. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I think it's really important to constantly talk about all of those other areas of work 
and avoid avoid sort of dark matter, right? A, a, avoid the, these places where people just need to put a bunch of time, a bunch of energy, a, a, maybe even a bunch of emotional stress and, and, and kind of weight, if you will. Um, but but find ways to to bring those into the light, and and then. Either they're important parts of the job and we need to reward them, as you say, and celebrate them and get better at them and learn and improve our practices. And, you know, frankly, some of these things are areas where maybe we don't even need to be doing it. Maybe they're things that, you know, a ritual of how we manage the life site or something that if we really kind of brought out into the light and we really kind of looked at it from a different lens and from multiple directions, we might have a much better way of solving this in the, in the first place. You know, one of the things that I firmly believe is that while silos and Conway's law are very, very real and like using them well is, is, is a superpower, frankly. Um, at the same time, I, I think it's really important for leaders in, in an engineering organization and a product organization to find, and, and frankly, in a business context as well, to have enough breadth and enough context such that they're not sort of, or, or, or we are trapped in this sort of bullheaded effort to fix the problem in our area. Because sometimes, you know, it, it, it might take a thousand joules of energy for me to solve it here. But if I went over here and, and attacked the problem in a different area, it takes 10 joules. And we wind up with, with, with ripple effects and in, in, in other improvements across the system. So I, you know, I think it's hard to do. It's tricky. But I think it's very, very important that, that while, while you focus and in, in work you know, very deep in your area, you're having the kind of conversation such that problem solving can happen at a much broader context and sort of in that optimal place in the system. That makes sense. Um, and, and, and it's always a hard trade-off, I feel, especially as the size of the organization. I mean, you're talking about Microsoft. Once you get to a certain size, there really is this trade-off between being able to keep the system in your head and being able to kind of chunk it down sufficiently, as you said, with like, you know, reverse Conway or something, right? We can have a bunch of microservices, put two pizza teams on each one so that they can reduce the scope of what they need to think about. How do you balance those two kind of competing forces? Because what you don't want is everyone spinning their wheels, just trying to, you know, load the entire Windows version X code base into their head. Exactly. And any thoughts on on how you how you know that you're going too far one way or the other? Well, like like a lot of things in life, I I, I think it's trade offs, right? And and I think it's sort of finding the balance. And and I'll come back to inquiry and and, and curiosity, right? Be, being willing to realize that that you you may be off a little bit and and just experiment and and kind of fine tune it for the the, the organization at hand. Um, you know, I, I, a couple of things I'll, I'll say that I have found help. First off. I strongly encourage folks to stay ICs far, 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 far longer than most people sort of think they should. And, you know, the, 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 the reason is, is when I've, I've seen people go, you know, when, when, when I see people sort of make that fork into worrying about people management earlier in their career versus later in their career, like when they've achieved a, 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 a far greater level of technical mastery, if you will, their ability to hold that picture in their head is different. You know, if you've really forced yourself to put in 20 years as an IC and you've gone 
incredibly deep into a system. You know, you, you really, really, really understand how software works, how PCs work, how distributed systems work. You know, you, whatever, whatever slice of this you're into, you know, if you've really, really mastered it, I don't know. I, it, I, I found that it, it's, the, the level of context, the breadth and, and, and the nuance, if you will, even in the context that they can sort of load into their operating memory is fundamentally different. And so when they then, if, and if, if they, but when they make that change into people management, you know, a, a senior IC is a leader just as much as a people manager is. But when you start to then build those skills a little later in your career, I find that you wind up being a much more proficient leader and you're able to wield you know, a, a, a much larger sort of positive impact on the people around you and the products around you and your customers. So that's one point. Um, the next is finding ways to allow individual teams to innovate on their own. So think, you know, careful and managed and versioned abstractions with dependencies inside and out, right? You know, don't, 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 don't go party on some other microservices database, use the API and that API better be backwards compatible, right? All, we, 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 we all know the design points yet. We all get, get, uh, you know, the, 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 the tendency to cheat them and, and rush these at times. But if, if you can really sort of live within those guides and within those bounds, now each team has the opportunity to innovate and, kind of uh, explore their, their their potential future without a huge amount of entanglement with those around you. Now, this doesn't mean you don't do stakeholder management. It's still very, very, very important. You have to bring all of your stakeholders along. And I mean, your customers, your counterparts in product, dependencies downstream and upstream from you in the architecture and in the system. So you still do all of that, but you're able to do it at a different cadence. You don't have to do it at the level of a PR, of a deployment and a production. You can do it sort of at a different time cycle, which is more human, if you will, as opposed to the time cycle that, that we'd sort of generally prefer when we're talking about building software and especially running services, where we might want to be pushing updates into our system many, many times a day. It's very hard to do a stakeholder management, a good stakeholder management conversation many times a day. Humans just don't don't operate at that pace. Um, so it's 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 always a, a, a trick finding uh, that balance as, as, as you portray. Um, I guess the, the, the last piece I'll say is that the main reason in my mind that, that we have hierarchical organizations is because of what you just shared is because of context, you know, sort of as you go up in the organization, our job is to have a broader context. I'm never going to understand the details as, as, as well as someone working in the team, but we will interact we will communicate, we'll, we'll converse, we'll argue, we'll debate, we'll learn things, and I'll have a better context as a result. And I can share things that are elsewhere in the system that are you know, maybe out of that particular team's purview or, or even visibility kind of in, in a rational daily way, such that collectively we wind up with better decisions. And so more and more of those conversations, the, the more of that intermixing we have, the better everyone's shared context is, as well as the better the resulting details are, because they they all have to merge together. That's great. Thanks, Randy. So what about architectural quality? How do you think about what is a quality architecture? It's mm, a great question. So fundamentally for me, it's about right-sizing 
the architecture, the the building blocks, the sort of way you lay out the system with the problem at hand. And, and you know, it's it's the scalability. You know, Mar- Marquette is a highly scaled platform. We, we run some some very very large customers. Uh, you know, in 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 our uh, Q4 earnings, we announced a, a partnership with City, where we're doing tokenization as a service. It, it's a it's a just a massive massive system, uh, and so right sizing your your choice of technology, right sizing your 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 building blocks, uh, that to me is, is sort of the definition of architectural quality. The other aspect you have to layer in there as well, of course, is engineering agility, our ability to create innovate. You know, create and innovate and bring new value to our customers and, and to our engineers and to our partners. Uh, you know, if, if you can balance those things appropriately, uh, I don't know, I, I, I find you wind up with much, much better results. You wind up with happier customers. You wind up with happier employees. You know, your, your product is more, more robust and resilient. Uh, and, and you're not faced, you know, you're, you're, you're constantly evolving. You're constantly refactoring. You know, I, 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 I like to say that, that, and, and this is very different from, from, you know, early in my career when I did package software. But when you're running services, you know, day by day, it, it kind of feels slow. E- even mm-hmm. if, if you've pushed 10, 10 changes, it feels slow, right? You're, you're making these little, little, yeah. tiny incremental changes. But when you're doing it well, you look back at the last six months, you look back at a year, and it looks nothing the same, right? It, 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 the system has, has evolved. It, 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 it is, is, you know, changed in, in ways that better fit the needs of your customers, better fit the needs of your product, and better fit the needs of your engineer, engineering organization such that your your pace, your, your ability to improve uh, ha- has gone up drastically. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a hyper-incrementalist. I, I, I don't really believe in, in kind of on-the-side rewrites in, in, in production systems. Um, you have to do it occasionally, but, you know, my, my strong suggestion is don't. <laughs> You're, you're going to have everyone saying, no, we really have to. It's too hard. It isn't. Find, you know, force yourself to find the way to break it down. Force yourself to, to get to that architecture that is more right-sized to the problems that you have and that you want to have. You know, we're, we're talking, not, not trying to, to put in place something for 10 years down the road where you may be running it at a thousand, the scale, thousand times the scale you are today, but do think about, you know, what you're going to want to be two or three years down the road, right? So it's probably at least 10x in scale, right? You know, our our, our processing volume has gone up, uh, I think it's 50 times in the last four or five years. So finding ways to, to sort of be not way out in left field where, where, where you're no longer connected to the real needs of your product and your customers, but that you are kind of aiming to where the puck needs to be. You're, you're aiming your architecture. You're thinking about, you know, is, is this a distributed system? Is this something I want to do in Kubernetes? Is this a MapReduce job? Is this a relational database? You know, kind of the, these fundamental decisions. And then how do you break down your code base and how do you break down your deployments such that you have that same scalability in your engineering organization and you remain efficient and effective and agile over time? These are very important aspects of, of quality architecture in my mind. What about operational quality? Oh, that's a great one. I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of uh, you built it, you run it. And, and you know, honestly, I, what, one of the really great things about 
you know, running our own software and instead of putting it on a floppy or a CD and, you know, shipping it out into the world is you can actually tell how it works. And as an engineer, you know, especially if you're driven by curiosity and, and, and inquiry and, and a desire to sort of master and, and really understand things, the fact that you can sit there and look at how the system is actually behaving, whether it's memory behavior, whether it's thread usage, whether it's customer usage behavior, the, the distri- distribution of you know uh, query complexity, whatever it happens to be, the fact that you can actually sit there and see that, like this is so much fun, right? It, it's it's completely unlike the the sort of time horizon and, and cadence. Excuse me, you know, when, when you'd ship out a new version of, of the C++ compiler every three years and, you know, come in this giant box with, with 47 manuals, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so the, the ability to do that, to, to really see how things are working and therefore to improve the stuff that actually matters and not worry so much about the stuff that doesn't. You know, if you, if you go back to the start of our conversation, talking about static code analysis, to kind of talking about quality at the code level, that's going to give you a, a, a certain base level of, of protection, if you will, a certain base level of quality, certain base level of guarantees. That next aspect comes from really understanding how the system is working dynamically. How is it actually behaving in production? Making sure you have great visibility, you have great alerting, you know, you really understand the customer experience and the customer implications. You have the ability to deploy improvements and changes in a low friction, safe way. You can roll those back when they don't work because sometimes they won't. That's okay. That's expected. That's life. Uh, you know, the, the being in this world where, where you can really sort of, you know, not just have a, a, a an affinity with the code that you're writing, but you can actually have an affinity with the almost living, breathing service as it's running in production, as it's creating value for your customers, as it's powering and growing their businesses, you know, as, as, as our customers you know, or our customers' customers in many cases, you know, are buying gas or buying groceries or kind of doing their daily life on top of the Marketa platform. You know, the fact that we can sit there and, and with certainty understand how it's behaving 24-7 and therefore we can make really intelligent decisions about the next avenue of evolution, the next avenue of investment. You know, it, it's, it's such a powerful tool and it it changes the game of software development in such a fundamental way. Um but you have to start with the customer experience. You have to kind of start your observability, start your learning kind of out that at, at that edge. And then frankly, working all the way back to understanding, you know, thread contention and understanding why, what, what's contributing to, to the, the latency spikes that we're seeing here. Is, is it queuing behavior because of starvation for a shared resource? You know, what, what is, what is the actual low-level underlying technical challenge? And then, you know, how do we overcome that in the most elegant way possible? Uh, it's, frankly, Peter, it's great fun. <laughs> so when you're looking to pull together a team of people to, to look at those, starting with the high-level business problems and going all the way down to really understanding what's happening in the system, what makes a good quality team member? And, and how do you hire or interview for that? That's a really great question. So, you know, I, the, the fundamental assets or, or the fundamental building blocks of our entire industry are people. You know, after people, it's sand, mm-hmm. which we turn into chips, and it's electricity we use to power them. Like, the, the, these are basically the, the, our, our, our raw materials in this industry. Um, but people and their ingenuity, their creativity, their energy, their effort, uh, their, their passion, and, and their kind of caring about their job and their customers and their impact and their colleagues – 
this is the the, the fundamental thing we do, right? It, it, it's it's the it's the core engine that, that builds a successful product, a successful organization, and, and brings value to our customers. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I guess I'd say I come back and, and, and look for quality there as well, right? So, so I, w- I want people who are constantly trying to push themselves and everyone around them forward. Now, I want that done in a very kind, humble way, right? So finding a balance of folks who have have great curiosity, have great uh, sort of intellectual horsepower, who who have great emotional EQ, uh, and, and who approach things with, from a point of humility, from a point of kindness, from a point of curiosity. I mean, the, these are very very important aspects in my mind. And you know, it, it's you, we we talked a little bit about interviewing earlier. It's a full time job, right? And and e, 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 even if you know, I I. I I, I often think about recruiting not just as sort of right sized for, for the roles you're trying to fit right now today, but realizing that, that, you know, over time, your organization is going to change. You're going to need new people in the organization. The folks you have are going to be looking for new opportunities. There, there, there's just this, there, there's an ecosystem, if you will, around building a team and, and especially around doing it over many, many, many years. And so finding folks who want to be part of that journey. Who want to improve themselves? Who want to improve the product? Who who sort of want to create that mastery and that shared view of what is great, what is quality, what 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 is what is good look like, and kind of constantly challenge themselves while being humble, while being curious, while being kind. You know, I, I I'm a huge fan of discussion and discourse and, and even argument, but it has to be about the thing, right? It has to be about the problem in front of it. It's not you and I arguing. It's not about us. It's about the thing on the table. And, you know, folks who can do that in an artful way and, and sort of are are driven more by inquiry that, than advocacy, if I can use that that kind of yep. differentiation, uh, I don't know, you, you, you get to better results and, and you get to a more enjoyable working environment. And in my experience, you, 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 you get to work with folks who who go on to to have uh, you know an amazing impact both both in, in whatever team they, they may be part of that day as well as you know 10, 20 years down the line. Uh, so it, it's I don't know I, I I always look at I kind of break my job down in, into three categories and 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 I, I I have a deck that I use to kind of introduce myself to folks but there, there's one very very simple slide and and, and it's a it, it's a donut chart the, the title is basically so what the heck is your job anyway or my job I guess uh, and and it, it's a very simple donut slide and, and like 80 percent of it I, I I call environment right and, and it's just all the things that need to be done such that folks can be successful it's it's ensuring that, that we have you know the, the right engineering practices and ensuring that, that we have a, a a good system in place to do performance feedback and rev, you know review discussions and coaching and all all the stuff that just has to happen to make a vibrant rich successful place to to do engineering you know marketa we, we we talk about this being the, the place where people can do the best work of their lives and so creating that environment you know in, in, in making that possible that's a full-time job the next chunk on this, I call hiring and firing. And I, I literally have the word firing in there. You know, I, I, I thankfully rarely have to do that, but you know, it, it, it's, it, 
at the end of the day, you know, it, it, ha- having the right people in the organization, it's not just about bringing people in. It's about coaching the people you have. It's about helping them grow. And sometimes it's about finding a better fit for someone when they're in the wrong spot. And then the last small slice of this is like 5%, which frankly is probably overstating it, uh, I call making decisions. And that, that's just kind of talking about the fact that generally speaking, I'm going to understand something much less than anyone else in my team. So if I have to make the decision, I'm, I'm always happy to help. I want to be part of a lot of these, uh, but if I actually have to make the decision, we're probably going to make the wrong one. <laughs> that is great, and and maybe just one final thing I want to try to shoehorn in here because you you talked about this this amazing kind of like ad hoc mentorship experience, right? You're at Microsoft. There's this person across the the hallway, which is wonderful, except there are are now not people in the hallways. Do you have any thoughts at all about as we move to a world where there's going to be more permanently remote work, that we can still provide that kind of ad hoc mentorship to the next generation of engineers? You know, Peter, that this honestly is, is one of the things that, that worries me most about the the transition we're going through. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working at home. Yeah, this is my home office. Um, I, 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 I very rarely worked at home before the pandemic. I, I was always, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I like the energy of people around me. I, I, I like the random conversations we have getting a cup of coffee. Like it, 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 it was just, it was energizing. Um, but I've gotten used to this. And, and, and even at this point for me personally, I, I, you know, it, Part of me really wants to go back into the office and I'll be there. Part of me is like, yeah, I'm okay. This is good. I'll, <laughs> no I'll, I'll just stay it's here. It's easy. It's cozy. Exactly. But, you know, that that early stage in your career, where it, it's it's hard, right? And, and finding ways to provide that kind of opportunity, that kind of mentorship, that kind of guidance, that kind of growth. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about quite a bit and actually been talking within our, our sort of principal engineering uh group in, in, in Marquetta, just about ways to help with that. Because, you know, a lot of that mentorship and guidance comes from that group. Um, you know, one of the ideas we, 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 we haven't fully implemented yet, but one of the things we're playing with is trying to structure folks' calendars such that they can have a good, you know, maybe four hours a day or something where they're not in meetings mm-hmm. and they can just have a, a Zoom window or a Hangout or whatever tool open and sort of have it have a drop in, right? V- very similar to the way I, I walked across the hall and poked my head and said, hey, do you have five minutes? Uh, you know, try to cr- try to create that 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 similar experience, um, but it starts with, with saying that it's okay. You know, the the the, the reason that, that I was comfortable doing that uh, partly was me because because I'm like I I, I had no shame. I, I I wasn't remotely embarrassed by not knowing the answer, um, so I, I was lucky that way. But even more than that, it was because my counterparts at the company back then were very open and they never made me feel bad about asking a question. You know, they, they, they dove right in and they made it fun and, and, and they reinforced my desire to learn and experiment and, and they never made me feel inferior or, 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 or like I didn't know what was going on or, or bad in any way for having 57 ridiculous questions every single day. So I, I think there's a lot of work culturally and, and then there's some technology experimentation we have to do to find ways to create that. Uh, and frankly, you know, offices are still there, right? You know, it's, it's, it's an option for folks. And you know, I'd encourage people to think about what is best for you at, at your stage in your career. And then as leaders, I think we need to think about ensuring that that's possible as well. Yeah, so as, as we're thinking about seeding our offices, and especially if it's kind of a mixed remote and, and uh, in-office in environment, how do we just make sure that, that these the sort of experience and mentorship opportunities aren't 
imbalanced and sort of distributed in, in, in incompatible ways. So yeah, I'm, it, it's something that, that, that I hope as an industry, we, we do a good job of because it's, you know, it, it helped me so much and I've seen it help others so much. I want to make sure that we continue to give back that back and, you know, build the leaders of the future. Randy, unfortunately, we're a little over time, but thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and experiences today. Thank you, Peter. It was a pleasure talking. Mm-hmm.